Okay, so we've been doing foundations and we've been talking about our personal foundations. We've been talking about our identity in Christ. We've been working through Ephesians and we're still in chapter one. Um, but now we come to talk about the church. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. What's the church all about? What's it for? And I just have to tell you, um, <clears throat> I'm going to be talking about one of my passionate themes in life. I love the church of Jesus Christ. I love the church. And, you know, the apostles, all of them laid down their lives for the church. And we're called to do the same. Uh, I mean, that's quite a high calling, isn't it? I gave up my job uh, to serve the church full time, but that's about as far as it's gone. But it does feel like laying down your life sometimes, so much time and energy, so much prayer, so much thinking um, is about the church for me. I just love the church. I love this church. I love the church globally. Send me anywhere, I'll go if there's a church. Uh, I'll, I'll plant you. Anyway, I mustn't get too carried away, but I'm just warning you, when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about something that's very close to my heart, and I know it's close to his. Um, and, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you know the church is amazing. I, I don't mean just Jubilee Church. I mean, you guys are amazing, of course. But the universal church is a truly amazing phenomenon. Uh, there's nothing else quite like it in all the earth. It's so diverse. It runs through all time. There's churches in every nation. It crosses every boundary. Um, I mean, let's just take a look at the church. It, it's not like any other organization or club that you can join. Because we're part of a community of believers which began thousands of years ago. And every believer that went before, we're part of that too. And so Hebrews describes it like this. He says that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And I love to imagine all the saints cheering us on. I love that. Um, and then there's the sheer size of the church. Did you know that in 2022, there are around 2.5 billion Christians in the world? That's just over a third of the world's population. Around 2.7 million people are becoming Christians every year. That's the population of Australia every year becoming Christians. Because despite what the media says, the church is growing faster now than at any other time in history. More people are becoming Christians today than at any other time in history. I think that's great news. I mean, take the um, continent of Africa. I mean, this is particularly the global south that we're seeing this incredible phenomenon. Uh, just over 100 years ago, there were 10. million Christians in the whole continent of Africa. In 2021, there were reckoned to be in excess of 685 million Christians. Wow! Now they're sending missionaries to us. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, it's a similar story in South America, India, uh, in the East. The church is growing. People are being saved at an incredible rate. Although, sadly, the same cannot be said for the churches in the global north at this time. In the UK, America, and Europe, there's evidence that the church is declining. A 
according to research from the Briley Research Consultancy, whoever they are, the number of churches open and being used for worship in the UK has fallen from around 42,000 to 39,800 in the last 10 years. That's 2,200 churches closed. I've got to say, some of them probably should have been. Um, in America, a study has found that Christians accounted for 90% of the population 50 years ago, but as of 2020, that figure had fallen to about 64%. Okay? But listen, we've got to see what God is doing everywhere. God is still building his church, and we need to pray that he doesn't forget us. <laughs> you know, I really believe that we're on the verge of a move of the Spirit. We need a move of the Spirit. That's what we're going to be praying about next Sunday evening in our prayer meeting. We need God to move across the global north, across America, Canada, Europe, the UK, for the sake of future generations. But look at what he's doing already across the world. That's, that should give us hope. That should encourage us. Don't you just love what God is doing? Uh, because he's so faithful and the church is amazing. So now we come to talk about Ephesians. Um, the church is amazing, but I don't understand why it takes Paul so long to mention the church in the book of Ephesians. See, normally when you read his books, he starts with addressing the church. He says, hi church, you're wonderful, you're amazing. But in the book of Ephesians, he waits for 22 verses. And there's so much theology before you get there, you kind of wonder, has he forgotten it somehow? 22 verses before the word church appears for the first time. He's taken a while to get to the point, and it could make you think, well, maybe the church isn't that important to Paul, but actually it's the opposite, because this is a climactic moment, Paul's mention, of the church. So far in Ephesians, as we've seen, it's all been about this great salvation which we've found in Christ, forgiven, sealed, secured by the Holy Spirit. And then there's this prayer in verse 15 where Paul starts asking for the Spirit to give us revelation into all that he's just said, because he's said a lot, all right? And we need the Holy Spirit to give us revelation. But now, at the end of the chapter, the highest peak of this amazing outpouring of praise and of the prayer, Paul mentions the church, finally. So what's the first thing that Paul has to say about the church? What matters most to Paul when it comes to the church? Well, the answer is in fact obvious. So obvious that you might think it doesn't need to be said. You might even wonder why Paul bothers saying it when there are so many other more practical things he could say about the church and things that we might say about the church. But while it might seem obvious, it needs to be said first. Why? Because it's so easy to assume it. Are you in suspense? Um, yet without it, nothing else about the church makes sense. Let's just read the chapter, the verse, and then you might guess what I'm talking about. Verse 22 and 23, that's all we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to keep coming back to this verse, these two verses. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, that's Christ, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. <clears throat> so the first thing that Paul has to say about the church is him. 
It's Christ. Christ, which also is the first thing that should come to our minds when it comes to the church. Jesus, the price that he paid, the supreme place he's been given, the authority he has, and and is and and authority he has. I don't know what I've written there. It doesn't even make sense. Um, the authority that he has, and now underline this part of the verse, and it's all for the church. It's all for the church. It always and will forever be about the church. That's Jesus' obsession. The church, Paul says, is his body. And he is the head of that body. Which means that Christ and the church are inextricably linked, deeply and profoundly connected to one another, interdependent of one another. I mean, what kind of mystery is that? Because the head and the body has to stay connected because otherwise what happens? The body dies. It's just basic biology. And so connected, he fills it. And he lives in and through the body, the church, through his spirit. I'm, I'm going to just unpack all of that uh, over the next few minutes. But I just want to say this. I've already said it in this series, but I want to say it again, you can't love Jesus and not also love the church because the two are inextricably connected. Uh, and so I want to invite you today to take another look at the church and over the next few weeks to fall in love with her all over again. But it all starts with Jesus. So today I want to focus mostly on him because firstly, he's the head of everything. Secondly, I want to see how Christ is for the church. Thirdly, how Christ, uh, the church is also for Christ. And so firstly then, that Christ is head over everything. Verse 22 again, God placed all things, say all things, just to make sure you stay awake. My voice is very croaky, forgive me, but it probably sounds great, so... <clears throat> all things under his feet and appointed him, Christ, to be head over everything. Say everything. All things and everything for the church. And Paul's very clear about the everything that Christ is over. It's literally everything. <laughs> Jesus is in a realm of uh, supremacy that is, in verse 21, far above all rule, and authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That means forever. That means that what was written 2,000 years ago is still true today and will forever be true. There is no power, there's no authority anywhere at any time that will not ultimately be compelled to bow the knee to Jesus and acknowledge that he's Lord. There's no tongue that will not confess it because Jesus has been given a name that's above every other name. He reigns indisputably and is forever supreme. Amen. And Paul's very clear about how this happened too. So he's clear about the everything and he's clear about the how. God did it. How? God did it. 
with the working of his mighty strength. I love this. Verse 20, which he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's verse 20. God did it. So why is Jesus there? Because God did it. He raised Jesus to this place of ultimate power and reign. And only God could do it. God raised Jesus from the dead in such a public display of authority because death couldn't hold him. It couldn't keep him down. Only God could raise Jesus to his right hand in such a defining way. And the devil couldn't stop him. He could do nothing to stop him. Only God, with the energy of the might of his strength, which is a literal rendering of the mighty strength verse in verse 20, can bring us safely into the glory of the final inheritance that is ours in Christ. In other words, all that Paul has already said about our new identity in Christ, God also did for us and secured for us too, as we saw last time. Only God could do all this. Only God. And Paul's very clear about why God did it. He did it for the church. He did it for the church. And the impact of this mighty demonstration of power goes far beyond our personal salvation and even the joy of sins forgiven. It's about God's everything agenda. It influences everything. God's unopposable will ricocheting through the universe affects everything for the church. Because you see, even Christ is for the church. Even Christ. Verse 22 again. I'm going to keep rereading this verse, by the way. God placed all things under his feet and appointed Christ to be head over everything for the church. That's the whole point. <coughs> no thanks, that's good. Who Christ is and what he came to do and what he will continue to do, it's all for the church. Christ is for the church. I mean, do you have any idea how significant the church is to God? Not only for us, but the future of everything is at stake. I think part of the problem is that we struggle to fully appreciate the supremacy of Christ, let alone his universal intentions for the church and our part. The implications are just too mind-blowing for us to grasp. So again, Paul writes in Ephesians about Jesus in chapter 4, who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. Well, that's Christ, that's God, that kind of makes sense because he's God. But then Paul goes on to explain our part as the church. God's full intention, Ephesians chapter 4 again, is that we all grow up to be mature. That's the so-called work of the Ephesians 4 ministries. If you've been around New Frontiers any time, you know all about those in attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, that's the Christ who's filling everything, who's filling the universe. In other words, where he goes, we go. Where he grows, we grow. 
if that's possible. His fullness is also our fullness. Now that's some scale. That's some kind of influence. And if you really kind of come to grips with this at all, our job description just got a whole lot bigger. I read these amazing words from a New Testament scholar called Peter O'Brien. It goes like this. He says, having achieved dominion over all the powers through his victorious ascent, he sovereignly distributes gifts to the members of his body. The building of the body is inextricably linked with his intention of filling the universe with his rule, since the church is his instrument in carrying out his purposes for the cosmos. Guys, have we got a big enough view of God's plan for the church? Do we have any remote idea? Do we understand the significance in its attachments to the plan and purposes of Christ and why he came? It's all about the rule and reign of God extending everywhere through the church. You see, Paul isn't just talking about our personal salvation, but our corporate, for want of a better word, impact of the people of God universally throughout all generations in his ever-expanding kingdom, filling the cosmos for his supreme purposes throughout all time. Are you stretching at all? <laughs> I, I mean, that's pretty big. That's the scale of it. All time, the whole cosmos. Oh my goodness, please, we're so self-obsessed. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's much bigger than that. And it means that whether we understand it or not, what we do here matters. Church matters. And it also means that what we do here doesn't just stay in the church. It goes out. And what goes out not only affects our lives, our communities, the world in which we live. Guys, it has cosmic significance. That's not me just getting off on one about the church. This is the Bible. That's what the Bible says. The problem is we don't have a big enough imagination to grasp this. Okay, let's just take a breath. I mean, that's just like massive... When you are taught to do preaching, you're meant to bring the application. I have no idea how to apply this. Except for, wow. And that's what I feel God wants to do. He wants us to get a bit of our awe back. Amen. Ephesians 1.10, Paul has already told us that God's great plan is to sum up all things in Christ. Say the word all. <laughs> all things. That's his great plan. God is bringing everything in the universe to the point of honoring and serving Christ. Notice that Paul, just before we move on, doesn't say at this point in this verse that God gave Christ for us as individuals. But that God gave Christ for the church. 
And, and we live in an individualistic society, and for us, that understanding is sometimes missing, that the promise, the gift, is not just to us individually, but this matters. Church matters. The church is the gathering of people who call on his name throughout all time. Paul says it like this because it's not just that God has given Christ to each of us individually so that we can be strengthened by ourselves. That's true. He's given Christ to us together. God has gathered us together. And that idea of being gathered together as church really matters. Why? Because of what he says next. <laughs> because the church is for Christ. He's head over all things, but it's for Christ. The church is for Christ. So verse 22, 23 again, God placed all things under his feet, pointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, it's not only that God, are you following me? Um, it's not only that God placed Christ over everything for the church. That's amazing. But the church has become everything for Christ because well, we are his body here on earth now. We are Christ's fullness, who fills everything in every way. And we've looked at the everything. It literally means everything. But he also fills his body, the church. Because the church is now the dwelling place of God on earth. And if you read around the commentators, they all go on about verse 23. We don't get this. How can there be any more fullness than there already is and all that? But this is what it is. It's the fullness of Christ in the body of Christ being manifest through his glory, his presence. Now in the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle that was carried on the shoulder of the priest. They went from place to place. But now it's in the New Testament, it's the body, the church. His spirit inhabits the body and gives life to the body in just the same way as our spirit inhabits our human bodies and makes us what we are. What are we? We're alive because we have a spirit in us. When our spirit goes, we die. It's the same with the church. His spirit inhabits us. And Jesus is not only the head that directs the body, he lives in us by the Holy Spirit. This is why his presence is so tangible when we gather. You know, sometimes we can have a great quiet time at home, but it's not the same as when we come to church and pray. There's a, there's, a, there's a power there. There's a tangibility of God's presence when we gather. He comes amongst us as we worship. He walks amongst us as we pray. When we call on him, he responds. He answers. He directs our prayers, and he speaks to us. That's why it's important to pray together. <clears throat> We can pray on our own, but praying together, there's some power there that gets unlocked. The gathered people of God, which is the church, is his dwelling place on earth. Ephesians 2.22, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit.
You know, because of this, uh, I believe that the church is meant to be a taste of heaven on earth. I really do. I think the church should be that great because it's where God lives. If God really lives here, then when people encounter the church, they should encounter God. Yeah, that's what I believe. And because all that's in heaven uh, is mediated to earth through the church. I really believe this stuff. You know, so it shouldn't surprise us when we hear of people encountering angels in our meetings. It shouldn't surprise us. Oh, we had a, some of you have heard this story a few times. Um, there's lots of stories, but I love this one. We had a, an older couple come and join the church back when we were in Jago House. And they'd been coming for a few weeks. And, and then the man says to me, can I just ask you something? He says, I'm a, I'm a musician, so I know my stuff. He says, I just can't see where the choir is. They're singing quadraphonic harmonies. I, I know it, and I, I can't understand what they are. I said, what choir? We don't have a choir. Oh, it must be the angels he's hearing. When we gather, the angels come and worship with us. doesn't surprise me. We had a guest come on one occasion, and, and uh, it was my auntie. And uh, she doesn't come from our kind of church. Um, and somebody had a word of knowledge about, I think it was you, I can't remember now, uh, about a, a finger being healed. It's like trigger finger. Um, and that God was healing it. And, and so my auntie's standing there, and, uh, and she says, and somebody really kind obviously came and stood behind her and put their hand on her, and, and then she just felt these hands on her as, as this word was brought from the front. She turned around, there was nobody there. But she was healed. The angels came and touched her. They're ministering spirits from God sent to minister to the saints. It shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us when people experience joy. I can't stop laughing sometimes because in his presence is fullness of joy. It shouldn't surprise us when people are healed. You know, we had a lady walk into the meeting who was instantly healed. She came late and as we were worshipping. She'd had sinus problems for five years. And suddenly her sinuses cleared as she walked into the atmosphere of worship. Shouldn't surprise us. In fact, I'm surprised more people aren't healed. How do you come in to worship? You know, that word that was brought earlier, when God's glory is here, that's when things can happen. That's when we need to be receptive. We put our hands on places and said, Lord, will you touch me here? It's about receptivity in his presence. It shouldn't surprise us when people are overwhelmed with peace or feel loved and accepted. We should expect these things because these are all parts of heaven and can be experienced here on earth through us, through the people of God who are the church. The church must be a place of God's imminent presence and power. We are the household of God. His dwelling place on earth, which also fills the universe. <laughs> the problem is, I think that we can become too familiar with all of this. 
I think sometimes it's that we just don't have sufficient reverence for the church. And instead we come as critics to evaluate a service. <laughs> Consumers of what the church puts on, which we can take or leave, rather than discerning the body of Christ. Or we can become so dull to the presence of God as we come together that we don't even bother to engage with him. We go through the motions, we sing a song or two, we listen to the people pray, perhaps even contribute ourselves with an amen to somebody else's prayer. We sit down and then we endure the sermon, wondering how long it will be until dinner, and what is for dinner anyway. <laughs> These things are true for all of us. And we can all be in danger of becoming over-familiar, even despising the church and neglect his glory. We can come with no expectation of meeting with the God who lives and walks amongst his people and go, on, go home completely unchanged, unmoved. Is that you? Listen, I believe that God wants us to come together with an expectation for encounter. To come hungry and thirsty because I want him. You know, I stood up at the weekend away, the beginning of the weekend, I said, I'm desperate for God. I'm desperate for his presence. That's how we've got to come. That's how you get stuff. It's only the thirsty that get drink. Only the hungry that get fed. I was going to say only the thirsty get drunk. It doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> not to come as passive observers, but to come as passionate lovers. Any passionate lovers here? To come with faith and expectation that as we gather, God comes and there's a sense of awe saying, I wonder what's going to happen next. Because God's here. We lost our awe. When we come like that, it doesn't matter about the music the songs that we sung doesn't depend on what atmosphere we can or cannot experience it doesn't even matter what the weather is doing Do you know we've learned in leadership if the weather's bad the meeting's probably going to be grim why god doesn't change but we live in england the weather's always changing when the church of jesus christ gathers the living God is amongst us. We come knowing when we encounter him. Our lives can be changed. And when we bring people with us, we can be confident that theirs will be changed too. And we will see the signs that he's with us. People will be healed. Lives will be changed. People will come into this church denying that God exists and will leave unable to deny that God exists, they'll literally bump into him and fall down saying, surely God's amongst you. So is that how you see it? Is that your expectation as you meet with the people of God whenever and where, where, wherever and whenever that might be? And this pandemic, you know, I, I really missed the church. 
Do you know, that was the overriding thing. I missed being together. I missed encountering God together. I've got a whole new appreciation. It, it staggers me that some people's response to the pandemic is I don't need to go to church anymore. It's been the opposite for me. I can't wait. I mean, I, I, was, in, I was in heaven last weekend because we were together the whole weekend. I mean that. Just the church being together. His presence is there. How about you? God is here. I just remember an occasion, I was thinking about it as we were praying earlier about the glory of God coming. I remember an occasion where we invited God's glory to come. And the whole place was covered in gold dust and people had gold on their hands. And it was all over the hotel chairs. Some of you remember that. It's tangible. Sometimes even physical. And God's kingdom breaks into ours. And we just invite him to come. Let's just be receptive to what he wants to do. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Come and do what you want to do, Father. Father, we are your church. Part of the great universal cosmic church. There's only a handful of us here, but Lord, we're part of something so much bigger and more significant we can't even get to grips with. And Lord, your dwelling place is in your church. So Father, we just invite you to come by your Holy Spirit. Come and manifest your glory. Come and let your presence be known. Come and do whatever you want to do, Father. Father, as we come to a close, I just pray right now that your glory will go out wherever we go. So in Jesus' name, I commission you this week to go into all the world and take Jesus with you and be a blessing, be the church of Jesus Christ know your significance and who we are together as church in our communities wherever they might be Father I pray for your manifest presence to be on us for the consciousness of your glory be on us. In Jesus' name. Amen.